You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Good evening. I suppose it's probably been a few months now since this happened, but uh, a few months ago, Adrian, my wife Adrian, was uh, with our kids doing errands around town. I wasn't there, so she told me secondhand. And they went to the bank to withdraw some money from the bank. And this is was pretty new for Nora. Uh, she's four years old now, but we don't go to the bank very much because we hardly have cash. Uh, use, you know, debit cards. I have 40 bucks in my wallet right now and I feel pretty, pretty loaded to have that much cash. We went to the mall the other day and we bought gumballs in that like gumball thing because we finally had cash because of Christmas. We usually don't have cash. I'm not saying we don't have money, but we don't usually have cash with us. So we don't go to the bank all that much. So this is new for Nora and she was a little bit fascinated by how, how it went and she was wondering, what do you do at a bank? So she asked Adrian, uh, what is a bank for? And Adrian says, well, this is where you get money. And Nora, you know, being three at the time, she's four now, she hears that and her eyes start to widen and gets this really excited expression. You get money here? And she, she gets money enough to know that's a pretty big deal. You go to the bank and they give you money. That's what happens at the bank. Well, later on that same errand trip, whenever uh, we go out in the day and get things, Nora always wants to eat at McDonald's when we're out, or she calls it McDonald's. And so she asked to go to McDonald's for lunch. And Adrian said, well, no, we can't go there for lunch because we don't have any money to go there. And so Nora now takes these two pieces of information uh, that you get money from the bank, but we don't have money to go to McDonald's. Her wheels are turning. She's pretty, pretty clever for a three-year-old. Puts that together. You can go to the bank and get some money. That's pretty good thinking for her. And it sounds pretty simple from her perspective. I would say even pretty flawless. Like I could imagine her going up to the bank if she could and just say, can I have some money, please? And thinking that's just where you get money for free. They just hand out some money. And the problem, though, to us is obviously really obvious. You know, we're so intelligent adults here. And obviously, it's not just free money. It's our own money they're just giving to us. From her thinking, though, that's a pretty smart idea. Pretty good thinking. Now, it's things like this that really help me to trust God. These little interactions with, with kids especially, I find, because, you know, they're, I'm, I'm the the bigger one in charge of them and stuff. And this kind of stuff helps me to trust God because here's why. Her idea that seems very wise to her, to a three-year-old, just get money from the bank so we can go to McDonald's like it's free money, is to my 30-year-old brain obviously flawed. I know there's something wrong with that. And I think, well, 
pretty daily, pretty regularly, this has to happen between me and God. Like, I got this great plan I think is going to work out, and I think I got the information, and I'm going to have it figured out. And, you know, God is there. Oh, that's not really that smart. You think you got it figured out, but it's not all that smart. So it's things like this, this difference in perspective, being able to see, well, to what seems smart to a three-year-old, and is maybe even smart for a three-year-old, is really not true wisdom. There's some flaw in the logic there. And so we live our lives doing, making these kinds of decisions, making decisions that really should take, you know, a whole perspective of things to, we should consider that before making these decisions. But we go through our lives making our plans, learning, applying our knowledge, and making decisions and making judgments. But the problem in all of that is how limited our wisdom is. Even as much knowledge as we can have and we can attain, our wisdom to make our decisions and to live our lives is very limited. It's for us, you know, compared to God, the distance in wisdom from my four-year-old compared to me, between me and God is infinitely greater than that, the difference in our perspective and in our wisdom. So we have this limited wisdom that we use to make our decisions on and to live our lives based on. And we have to know this and admit this as people that our wisdom is severely limited in perspective. And the proof is when we look at the world. We look at the sin in our world, and as people, I mean, what we're doing to the world, not as in an environmental sense necessarily, but just to one another. What we do to each other, killing each other, hurting each other, abusing each other, backbiting each other. We can't even get along and we think we have wisdom to decide what to do with our lives and make our decisions and, and you know, just go for it. But the point I'm making here is our wisdom is limited and that is a fact and our way is not working or this world will be a much better place. Like I said, we can't even get along with each other hardly. So we know a lot, but we're not very wise. See, and the difference is I've heard it explained like knowledge is knowing that a red light means stop. Wisdom is actually stopping at the red light. Knowledge is knowing the Bible says don't lie. Wisdom is doing our best to always tell the truth, to actually do it. So wisdom is putting that knowledge into action. And we know we should love each other. We know we should be nice to each other. We know we should make good decisions. Yet we fail to do it so many times because our wisdom is limited. And if our wisdom is limited and our way of living life is not working, we need to look to someone whose wisdom is not limited, someone who has a better plan, someone who has all the information, someone who has true wisdom, which we know as Christians is the God that we worship and serve, who sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, who knows all things and is all-powerful and almighty. So this is the issue we're looking at tonight in the book of Job. And we'll be reading Job 27 and 28 about wisdom. And this is a situation that Job is in where he desperately needs some wisdom, some wise counsel on what to do. So in the backstory of Job, which we always have to remember, if we're trying to interpret Job and make meaning out of it, we have to remember the, the prologue and the epilogue, so to speak, because that book ends all these conversations with Job and his friends. And from the beginning of the book, the first two chapters, we learn some very, very important things that we need to remember as we study the rest of the book. Namely, that Job is upright and blameless before God. The Bible tells us that, and God agrees with that. We need to remember that. That it was God 
who brings up Job to Satan. So Satan appears before God. Satan and, and the, uh, some other demons appear before God and the angels report to him. And God says to them, have you considered my servant Job that there's nobody like him? So remember that it was God who brought him up and it was God who agrees that Job is, ju- or is blameless and upright. And then Satan accuses Job because that's what he does. He accuses people and he says, well, God, Job only loves you because you help him so much. You've given him so much. Take away what he has and he'll curse you to your face. God gives Job permission or God gives Satan permission to do that to Job. And then Job's family is killed. His house is destroyed and his possessions are gone. And God says to Satan, didn't you see? Job didn't curse me to my face. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job did not do what Satan accused him of doing. And God again brings him up to Satan. And Satan says, well, yeah, he still has his health. Take that away and he'll curse you to your face. God tells Satan, okay, do it. And he takes his health away. And his wife tells Job to just give up and die, curse God and die. Job says, no, we can't only accept good things from God. We also have to accept evil as well. And that's the backstory to Job. I, I bring that up a lot because it's so important to remember what God himself says about Job, not what his friends say. But then after that, that part, Job's friends show up to try to help him, try to give him some wisdom. And they fail. And we, we finished the part with his friends. It was about 20-some chapters of Job's friends being wrong, like completely wrong. God confirms that at the end, the friends are wrong. Maybe their information is not wrong, but their application is wrong. And so Job's friends are very wrong, and we finished that last time we were here in Job like a month ago. We finished the part with the friends. And so now we're at this part where Job is talking about wisdom. This is what he needs. He needs wisdom. His friends have not been able to give him an answer. We'll talk about the answer the friends have been given. If you've been here, you know that if you've read the book. But the friend, his friends have not been able to give him a satisfactory answer. Job himself does not know one. He needs wisdom. And he, but he knows where to get wisdom, and that's from God, the one who knows the end from the beginning, who knows all things and can give wisdom. So we'll be talking about that tonight, wisdom and how important that is. And what we'll see in these two chapters is that because God is the source of all wisdom, and God alone has all wisdom, we need to grow in His wisdom, godly wisdom. So let's look now in Job chapter 27. And this chapter shows us our need for wisdom, which I've already kind of said. It's that our knowledge is limited. So first of all, Job 27, the first six verses, Job says that his friends are wrong. It says, chapter 27, verse 1, Moreover, Job continued his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my justice, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast, and I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. And he's directing that again to his friends. The you is not God, it's his friends. He says, as long as God lives and as long as there's breath in my mouth, my lips will not lie. I will not say you are right. He's talking to his friends. I'll never say you guys are right because you guys are wrong. Here's what they were wrong about. This is just a summary of their position in the whole book. They told Job, God has killed your kids, taken away your health, taken away everything you've worked for in your life. 
because you have a secret sin in your life that God has to be punishing you for. And Job, you probably deserve it. That's what they've been saying. And they, the whole book have been putting words into God's mouth, saying, this is what God does to wicked people. This is what God is doing to you, Job. And Job's saying, no, I am not. He says, I'm going to hold fast to my righteousness, meaning I know that's not true. And now we could say, yeah, well, everyone sins, and that's right. The book is not saying Job is sinless. But Job is right that his friends are wrong. And like I said, it said at the beginning of the book, Job is upright and blameless. So God is not doing this because Job had a secret sin he had to be punished for. At the end of the book, God says straight up, you friends, you were wrong and you didn't help at all. I mean, paraphrasing, but he tells them clearly they were wrong. They did not help at all. They did not say anything right. So God says Job's friends are wrong. So this makes it easy, easier to help us understand the book of Job. And always be careful if someone like quotes something from Job out of context, because they might be quoting a friend and they're wrong. God says they're wrong, but that makes it easy. Everything the friends say, we can say, oh, they're wrong, because God said it. So they're wrong. And that's what Job says. But this was their best attempt at wisdom. See, this is where Job is working towards. They're, they saw what was going on in Job's life from their understanding and their understanding of God and their, their limited understanding they came to a conclusion and an application of what was happening, but it was wrong. See, this is the need for wisdom. They knew things about God, but they wrongly applied it to Job. Knowledge is knowing. Wisdom is application. And they didn't have wisdom for him. So then he goes on in the rest of the chapter, kind of turning it around on them. He, it sounds, what he says next sounds a lot like what his friends say. The difference is the friends were applying it to Job. Job is just saying generally. And plus he's, he's kind of turning it around on them, saying that we're stuck. We don't have any wisdom here. We're, we don't know what to make out of this. So verse 7, he says, May my enemy be like the wicked, and he who rises up against me like the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he may gain much, if God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? I will teach you about the hand of God. What is with the Almighty I will not conceal. Surely all of you have seen it. Why then do you behave with, such, with complete nonsense? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage of oppressors received from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword. And his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those who survive him shall be buried in death, and their widows shall not weep, though he heaps up silver like dust and piles up clothing like clay. He may pile it up, but the just will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth which a watchman makes. The rich, will, the rich man will lie down, but not be gathered up. He opens his eyes, and he is no more. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest steals him away in the night. The east wind carries him away, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls against him and does not spare. He flees desperately from its power. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. So the, the friend's so-called wisdom, quote-unquote, he turns around on them and says, this doesn't help. They're at a standstill. And that's why the friends don't say anything else during the rest of the book. They've spent all their wisdom. Job is refusing to listen because they're wrong and they're stuck. Again, they need more wisdom. They cannot see, understand, or apply what God is doing. Same with us. How we need godly 
wisdom in our lives. See, they may know a lot. And they do. They said, like I said, they said some true things, but they were wrongly applied to Job. They know a lot, but they need wisdom. And that, that's how it is. And that's, I think, how all of us are in the world that we live in. We know a lot, but we need wisdom. Sometimes it seems like the more we know, the dumber we are. And I think about, especially as a teacher in school, and it's pretty amazing what kids do these days in school, like what they learn from a young age and how much they know and how much knowledge is kind of thrown at them and what they're able to figure out. You know, there's a lot of bad-mouthing about schools, but the kids are doing a lot. The standards have been raised a lot, and the kids in schools are doing a lot. They know a lot of things. So that's great, but are they wiser? Are they making better choices? Are they applying that knowledge better than they have been? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think so. Knowing does not mean wisdom. Same thing with the Pharisees in the Bible. The Pharisees, the most religious people in Jesus' day, they knew more things about the Bible than anyone else. They had books memorized in the Bible. They made rules about their rules so they didn't break God's rules. I mean, rules on top of rules and all that. And they did their best to keep them. And everyone, most, lots of people looked up to them as these great righteous people. They knew a lot about the Bible, but Jesus repeatedly called them hypocrites. They didn't understand anything about the Bible. Like you search the scriptures, but you don't know in them you find me. I mean, he... He was very harsh with them. They knew the Bible, but they were not able to apply it. Then with us, same thing. There's a difference between knowing and godly wisdom in doing. So since they're stuck here, they need wisdom from the source of wisdom. And so this next chapter now, Job says this beautiful speech slash poem about wisdom that will help us to see the way wisdom works in our life, godly wisdom. So let's go into chapter 28 now. In his first point he makes, and you know, I break it up because it's a sermon, but you really should read the whole thing like all in one chunk over and over and over because you know it's from God himself. And it's such a beautiful way of describing wisdom. But let's read the first 11 verses here. He talks about our lack of the pursuit of wisdom. And that's one of the sources of our problems. Why we we need so much wisdom in our lives, we don't, go after it. We don't pursue it in the way that we pursue some other things that maybe shows our flaw in our priorities. So look what he says about our pursuit of wisdom. Verse 1, Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for ore in the darkness and the shadow of death. He breaks open a shaft away from people In places forgotten by feet, they hang far away from men. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, from it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the source of sapphires, and it contains gold dust. That path no bird knows, nor has the falcon's eye seen it. The proud lions have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams from trickling. What is hidden, he brings forth to light. And he's talking about, and what you'll see when we read the next verse, he's getting at wisdom here. He's talking about mining for precious metals, for silver, gold, or all that stuff. And he's talking about how great, what great lengths we go to when we really care about something. 
when we really want it, when we really want precious metals from the earth, look at what people do. Even today, it's still difficult. They will put an end to every darkness. We'll figure out a way to get light down there. Uh, we'll search every weakness for recess for ore in the darkness and shadow of death. We're not as afraid of dying if there's gold at the bottom. You know, people die in the mines to get gold. So we'll, we'll overcome our fear of death to get that gold. He breaks open a shaft far away from people. Animals don't know how to get there. We'll dam up water. We'll do whatever it takes to get gold because that's important to us. That's our pursuit as humans. That's, that's the lengths we'll go to to get what we care about. And think about all that's involved in that. If we read the next verse, but where can wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? We see what he's getting at. What we'll go for, how far we'll go to get certain things. But wisdom, probably not. We'll just make our dumb, uninformed decisions and do what we want because it's easier, because we don't value it. Now think about this in today's accomplishments, in, in today's things. And not about mining, but other things, although we still mine. Like, I was thinking about this and just looking some things up about what we as people do, the lengths we'll go to because we want something, and how little we'll go because we don't want it. So the world's longest bridge is over 20 miles long. That's very far. We built a bridge because we don't want to get in a boat and go over there. We want to drive there. So we'll build a bridge that's 20 miles long. What a great accomplishment. But we can't build bridges across belief systems and divide in our country and from person to person. See, we value, oh, well, let's drive there because it's convenient. But we don't value so much bridging misunderstandings and gaps and divides in our society and in our culture. See, we got so much wisdom here, right? The moon is like 200,000 miles away. We flew to the moon just to go there, pretty much. I mean, we don't live there. We, we went, got some rocks, put a flag there, came back. We went all that way just to go to the moon. That's great. Great we went to the moon. But I haven't walked across the street to introduce myself to my neighbors. See, stuff like that. Great wisdom. What do we value? America spends $600 billion a year on the military. That's fine. I'm not criticizing that. It's fallen world. What about 10% of all houses in America don't have enough money to buy food on a daily basis? Great wisdom. We spend Black Friday, one day, 50 to $60 billion as a country. But one in five Christians give donate under a hundred dollars a year see that's that's the wisdom it's what do we value how far will we go to get something we'll go extremely far when we really care about it when we don't not so much so you'll make it personal though think about you what do you pursue that might not be all that wise it just think about it how much time do you spend fixing that car how much time do you spend in front of the mirror how much money do you spend buying beauty products, buying that TV? How much energy do you spend trying to look better, to look more ripped? Are these things sinful? No, not necessarily. But is, are they wise? Is that what we should be pursuing? That's the question. There's a lot of gray areas. I'm not saying, you know, you can't look in the mirror. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying... Think about what you pursue. And one of the things that hit me, I, I talk about this, you know, I didn't have this, you know, uh, backstory of, you know, drugs and all these, you know, crazy things I was doing. 
Still, I shouldn't ever degrade that, and no one ever should, because Jesus had to die for my lame sins as much as he had to die for those hardcore sins. But some of the things, like this kind of hit me playing World of Warcraft a few years back when I used to play that a ton. And I was sitting there, and this might not make any sense. I'll try to make it make sense if you've never played it. But you, there's a fishing skill, and there's like 600 levels at the time of leveling up fishing, and now there's more. And I played it so much, I would level up my fishing skill. And here's how you do it. You, I, you sit there by a body of water in the game, and you hit a button, and the guy casts his fishing pole into the water. You wait till your bobber drops under the water, you right-click on the bobber, see what you caught, and then hope your skill goes up. Takes, I don't know how many hours of doing that. And that was the thing that hit me. How many hours have I spent leveling up my fishing skill in World of Warcraft? It's not even fun. So that's the, if I was having fun, it's a different thing. It's not even fun. And it, not saying that's sinful necessarily. I'm saying that was not wise for me. Because I realized I know more about the backstory of that game than I know about Christian doctrine, what the Bible says. I'm just saying me for an example. Think about what do you pursue because it's important to you. Is that the wisest thing you should be pursuing? Because that's the point Job is making. We'll dig through the earth to get precious metals. We'll do whatever it takes to get the gold at the bottom of the mine. But will we dig through the Bible to get precious words from God? Will we dig into our relationship with God to get His wisdom? Do we need wisdom from God? Because we don't pursue it all that well on our own. And that's why our world is kind of being destroyed right now. We don't pursue it because we don't value it. That's his next point. It kind of ties together. We don't pursue it because we don't value it. So let's go on now, verse 12 through 19. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. See the key thing, verse 13. Man does not know its value. Man does not know the value of wisdom, or else we'd pursue it a lot more than we do. And again, talking about true wisdom, godly wisdom, now what the world tells us, we'll get into that in a sec. It's saying it's priceless. All that gold, we cannot just buy wisdom. And even if we could, we wouldn't value it enough to do that. So we don't value wisdom. And that's that's true. And we've got to look at what's what's true in our world. And in our culture... In America, we're encouraged to make stupid choices. That's like a virtue in this culture. And that, that's the truth. We, we call it spontaneity. And we value spontaneity. Be spontaneous. You know, just go for it. Treat yourself. And we'll say, you gotta treat yourself. You gotta take care of yourself. Cause no one else is gonna do it for you. So treat yourself. We gotta be true to ourselves. You know, be whatever that means, but be true to yourself. We gotta chase our dreams. This is the culture's wisdom because these are the things that it values. Making dumb choices off the top of your head to just do whatever revolves around you. And look, our culture is merciless. It's without pity and without grace and without mercy. Because it'll tell you, treat yourself. You'll hear that message all over the place. Treat yourself. 
But you'll never treat yourself enough to feel like you've treated yourself enough. It's never going to, it's merciless. They'll tell you to be spontaneous, but you'll never be spontaneous enough. You always got to be a little bit more spontaneous. They'll tell you to chase your dreams, but your, your dreams will never be quite enough. It's because here's the corruption of sin. Anything we value that is sinful never satisfies you. Because a sinful desire is to fulfill a godly desire, but we're putting sin in that place. Because all those things, whatever we're, we're putting in us to try to fulfill us is really where God needs to be at the center of our life seeking His wisdom. And that's why anything sinful will never satisfy you. Because, oh, I need to chase my dreams because that'll satisfy me. It doesn't. Not in the long run. No one says, yeah, I chased my dreams and I was perfectly happy. I, I got all of them. All accomplished. Not if you value it. Not if that's your, like, I, it'll never fulfill you. It'll never satisfy you. See, that's why the culture is merciless. And that's why the wisdom the world offers us, because our wisdom either comes from God or the world. What one do you value? What one do you pursue? The world's wisdom is not to put God there. It's to put something else there. And it won't satisfy you because it was not designed to. It's like starving to death and eating carpet. It doesn't satisfy you because carpet was not made to feed your appetite. You were made to worship God because you were made in His image. And anything else you try to put there will not satisfy you. So that's why whatever the culture is telling you to get, whatever you need, whatever you need to pursue, whatever you need to value, it's not going to cut it. You're not going to say one day, yep, I'm spontaneous enough. I'm just fine with that. Not, not if you value it. Not if that's your thing. Whatever your thing is, you're never going to say, yep, that was enough. I love drinking. That was my last drink, though. It's, it's never going to be. Not what you value, whatever that is. So we can never meet. I mean, people say Christianity, a rule trip. It's, it's not. But especially not compared to the world, because that's all they do is throw stuff at you for you to do, how you can be better, but you'll never meet it. But here's godly wisdom. This is why we need to value godly wisdom, because he fulfills those. And in the Proverbs, I was going to read it, but I don't want to go over time. Proverbs 9 personifies wisdom and folly as two women. And you have wisdom standing at a corner telling people, please, Enter into my house. Be wise. Value wisdom. Come to me. But then you have the woman folly shouting at the corner, telling people to come in. The point is that foolishness is louder. The foolishness we hear in the world is louder and less. This is where God's wisdom is in this book. This is where he talks to us. This is where he tells us what is wise. And if we don't listen to this more than we listen to what's out there, that's what's louder to us. That's what surrounds us all the time. Why it's so important to be in the word, in prayer, and in church with other believers. To drown out that message we hear about what we should value. So how do you tell what you value? Look at where you spend it. How, what do you value with your time? Well, where do you spend your time? Think about your day. How much of your time is spent on godly things or foolish things? Think about your talents, your skills. How much of your skills are spent on godly things or foolish things? Think about your treasures, your wallet. How much of your money is spent on godly things or foolish things? If that's how you tell what you value. It's where do you spend it? And unless we fear God and seek His wisdom... We're going to spend those things selfishly and foolishly. And the end of those things is death, and everyone knows it. And that's the foolishness of this world, why we need godly wisdom. 
Because everyone knows spending all your time, talents and treasures on yourself and selfish things doesn't make us happy. That's why America is so depressed because we're all about us and it doesn't work. That's not wisdom. That's the loudest thing shouting at, at you. Live for yourself. That's the loudest voice you hear unless you're reading this book. It sounds nice, and that's the thing. It sounds tempting. But it's like Nora going to the bank. See, that's, that's the, the difference in perspective. It sounds nice unless you hear from someone who's eternal and what really is wise. Now let's go on, finish the chapter, the last point here. I mean, we've been talking about our need for wisdom, how we should pursue wisdom, and how we should value wisdom. But we haven't really gotten to really true godly wisdom yet. And that's the last part of this chapter. So let's look at that. Last point here about true wisdom, starting at verse 20. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Death and destruction say we have heard a report about it with our ears. So where's wisdom found? Well, it's not in us. That's what he's saying. We don't know everything. And that's, we can see that. We can see how this world is going. Verse 23, God understands its way and he knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens. This is what I've been saying. Why? This is what the Bible's been saying. Why it's so important to pursue godly wisdom because God understands its way. He knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth. He knows everything. And in our limited understanding, that's why I brought up the thing with Nora at the beginning, because what seems wise to a three-year-old isn't all that wise. What seems wise to mortal people like us, probably not all that wise compared to someone who is eternal and who's telling us in this book, in in the Bible, that's what he says is where is wisdom. So God knows everything. That's where we need to get wisdom from. Verse 25. For he sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and apportion the waters by measure when he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt. So what it's getting at is, well, God knows those things. And all of our human knowledge and understanding, we can't even fully comprehend simple things. It says God establishes a weight for the wind. See, God understands the wind. He knows it. We know some stuff about it. We can describe why the wind blows here, but we can't explain why there's wind in the first place without God. We can't explain like how the wind got there. We can explain how it works, which is different. We can't comprehend something like wind. Why do we think we can understand enough about our lives to make our own decisions and spend our time foolishly? It says that he made a, uh, to apportion the waters by measure when he made a law for the rain. God made rain. Humans, we can't understand something as simple as rain. Yeah, we can say how it works. We know the water cycle. We can explain all that stuff. We can even make clouds rain, you know, if we seed them. But we can't explain why there's rain, how rain got there in the first place without God. See, we can't even fully understand something simple like rain. And a path for the thunderbolt. Same thing with lightning. So if simple things like wind, rain, lightning, we can't fully comprehend Again, shows us our need for to get wisdom from someone who can. And that's the point of it. Let, these last two verses are really what this whole thing has been building to. So let's look at these carefully. Verse 27. Then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it indeed. He searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. 
and to depart from evil is understanding. If his word's been, been leading towards, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, to depart from evil is understanding. Wisdom is fearing God. Doing that is departing from evil. And Proverbs also says this. It says that a bunch of times in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's very important. See, this is what God is telling us. God, the eternal one who knows the end from the beginning, is telling us where is wisdom, and it's fearing Him. We need to remember that fear is not being scared of Him. When it talks about fearing God, it's respecting Him, having an awe of Him. I think of it like going out to the gorge, because sometimes I'll take my kids out there, and we go to the gorge. I don't let them just run around, like wherever they want to go. Because I have a respect for the gorge that if they get too close, they're going to fall in. So I'm, I'm holding their hand. Even myself, I'm not just like sprinting up to the edge and trying to see how close I can get before I stop. That would be foolish. It's because it's a fear. It's a healthy fear of a respect. It says fearing God like that, a respect for who He is, that He's holy and eternal. That's what wisdom is. And again, the Bible says that over and over. If you, if you know the Bible, you already knew that, where, where this is going. The fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. But the thing is, it says that a lot, but why? Why is that wisdom? This is very important. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. This is why fearing God is wisdom. It says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to, those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So that's why fearing the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Because our wisdom couldn't do anything to fix our relationship with God. It says, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. In the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. So please God, that through the foolishness of the cross, that's how we would come to know God. See, our best attempts at wisdom, trying to fix this relationship with God, which we all inherently feel, our greatest idea is be good, try harder, do nice things, try to make it up to God. That's our greatest wisdom as people. If you're going to try to fix a relationship with God, and that is not wisdom. Because if your God accepts you for doing good things, He is not a holy God. Because love requires wrath for evil. And so our God, because in our wisdom, we cannot connect in our relationship with God. We cannot be declared righteous because of our own acts. In His wisdom, He came into relationship with us through the foolishness of the cross. And it says that God's foolishness is wiser than men and his weakness is stronger than men. And it's using that as a way of saying, it sounds foolish that God's way of fixing us is for him to come to this earth, live a perfect life in our place 
and then die. That's what he's talking about, the foolishness of the cross. No other religion claims that because they're using the wisdom of man. But God's plans are greater than ours, and he is wiser. And the only way we could be forgiven and redeemed and saved, the Bible says, for God to pay for our penalty and give us his righteousness so he could see us as righteous. If there's any other way, Jesus would not have died. And so the foolishness of the cross is the wisest thing in all of history, but to us it looks foolish that our God would die. It looks foolish until God shows you that that's the only way. And that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, because if you don't get that, if you don't get the foolishness of the cross, you're not going to get anything else. Because then it's still all about you. I have to be good enough. And our wisdom is not good. But when it's about Jesus and his death and resurrection on our behalf, that is God's wisdom. And that is why, again, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So if we don't fear God, we have no wisdom. So we need wisdom on God's terms because ours doesn't work. In God's terms is the foolishness of the cross. That's what reconciles us to Him. But someone might say, I don't believe in God. That's not very wise. Look, we can, there's all kinds of evidence, scientific, historical, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't convince anyone. Because the Bible is God's word and it takes God to turn you towards Him. And Jesus Himself says, if you won't believe someone raised from the dead, you won't believe anything else. And so, yeah, you might not believe God. You can, the historic, I'm not going to go into all that. But that's not going to hold up when you stand in front of him. See, and that's why God says he's made foolish the wisdom of the world. Because I know as a former atheist, as a former non-believer, as everyone was at some point not an atheist necessarily, but God has to make you born again. I've never heard anyone say, and I'm generalizing, I've never heard anyone say, I'm not a Christian because I'm not smart enough. See, no one ever says that. Everyone, people who say that, like me, I'm not a Christian because I'm too smart for that. Okay? that. That's dumb people. And see, that's professing to be wise, they became fools. That's what it says in Romans. That's what people do. They pretend like they're so smart, I've got to figure it out. I have my limited understanding, like a worse than a three-year-old's compared to God's. But you might say, I do fear God. You know, this doesn't apply to me. I feared Him. I got all wisdom. Well, that's great. That's awesome you fear God. But now, if value wisdom, like we said, value that so you pursue it because you'll pursue what you value. And pursuing godly wisdom, again, all of his wisdom, he says in here, in the Bible. So if you value godly wisdom, you'll spend your time reading it. If you value godly wisdom, you'll spend your talents for his kingdom. If you value godly wisdom, you'll spend your treasures for his kingdom. Not just knowing, but doing. Not just knowing about God, but loving Him. And the Bible says we can ask God for wisdom, and He promises to give it to us, as long as we ask without doubting. So we can ask God for wisdom. And we remember that it all begins and ends with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that is the wisdom of God, that He makes us, forgives us of our sin, and gives us His perfect righteousness through His death and resurrection. So let's pray. Well, Father... First of all, we ask for your help in being wise and in looking to you and trying to understand you and your purposes and what, what you want from us, God.
So we need your help to value your wisdom more so that we will pursue it more. So we spend more time hearing from you and talking with you and being with other believers and doing your work, God. Thank you that the wisest thing ever is what appears foolish to us, that you sent your son to die for us and give us new life in his name. So we thank you that it's because of him we can even read your word and come before you and ask for wisdom. So we ask for that now, God. Please give us wisdom to live our lives in a godly way, in a way that honors you. Give us wisdom to know that we are fully and completely forgiven through what Jesus has done for us and not to try to earn that honor on our own. God, I pray if anyone is listening who doesn't know you and sees the foolishness that this world offers, I pray, God, now you would turn that person's heart towards you, cause them to repent and know that you, Jesus, are Lord and Savior and there's forgiveness and wisdom in your name, God. And I pray for those of us who do know you, who fear you. Help us to grow in wisdom and to love you and hear from you and be with you and one another until we see you face to face, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.